A disciple is someone who studies the teachings of Jesus and puts them into practice so that their mind, heart, and will are deeply formed into his likeness. We're called to imitate Christ, to grow up in every way into Christ, that we might be presented at the judgment mature in Christ. You're listening to the Holy Joys Sermon Podcast. Visit us at holyjoys.org to find more resources for a holy, happy church. This morning we're turning to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul writes in chapter 1 of the book of Colossians that the Christians in this ancient city of Colossae had heard the gospel, they had believed in Jesus Christ, but Paul and his co-worker Epaphras were not satisfied. They weren't content with them merely being in Christ at the coming judgment. The goal of their ministry was to present people mature or perfect in Christ, complete. Later in his letter, Paul notes that Epaphras was always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. When we repent and are baptized into the church, our journey has only begun. God forgives our sins and he welcomes us into his family for a purpose, to make us like Christ. Romans 8.28 says that God's predestined purpose is that we might be conformed to the image of his son. We're called to imitate Christ to grow up in every way into Christ, and to attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we might be presented at the judgment mature in Christ. Becoming Christ-like is a lifelong process of discipleship or spiritual formation. A disciple is someone who studies the teachings of Jesus and puts them into practice so that their mind, heart, and will are deeply formed into his likeness. The Christian life may include seasons of great growth. It may also include setbacks and times of slow progress. But growth in Christ-likeness should be noticeable, and it can be measured in stages. In 1 John chapter 2, John writes to children young men, and fathers. And when he does that, he is identifying three stages of spiritual maturity. Spiritual childhood, spiritual youth or adolescence, and spiritual parenthood. The fourth century church father, Basil of Caesarea, recognized those same three stages across the whole canon of scripture. He said, we've been taught in many passages of scripture that there's one state of the soul that is like a child, another 
that is like a young man in his prime, and another that is like a man who is already old and venerable. Now, we shouldn't confuse age with maturity. We shouldn't confuse the state of our body with the state of our soul. It's possible to be a Christian for decades and still be a spiritual child, stuck in our thinking, lukewarm in our affections, and unfruitful in our lives. On the other hand, a person may be young in age, like Daniel or Timothy, but mature of soul. And the Bible reproves Christians who are stuck, who are failing to become mature. Hebrews says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. First, spiritual children or infants are new disciples or those who have never pressed on to maturity in Christ. A spiritual child has denied themselves and taken up their cross. Their sins are forgiven and they know the Father. And for a new disciple, this is a very exciting time of growth and of commitment. But we know that children lack understanding and can be fussy. They can be self-centered, unstable, and impressionable, lacking in discernment. Basel notes that the Corinthians were babes, therefore they still needed milk the introductory and simpler teaching of the gospel because they could not yet master the solid food of doctrine. Hebrews 6.1 urges us to leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Second, spiritual youth are maturing disciples who have made significant progress in the Christian life. John says they have overcome the evil one. They persevered through many trials and temptations. They're strong. They've made progress in virtue. And the word of God abides in them. They're able to discern truth from error. Basel explains that person is young in soul who is perfectly taught in all the branches of virtue, who is fervent in spirit, who is eager for the practices of piety, and who being in his prime is vigorous in every way for the performance of good works. Now that's a pleasing picture, but God has even more for us. Progress in virtue requires constant discipline, and many Christians stop short of becoming true mothers and fathers of the church. Third, spiritual parents are thoroughly formed disciples who are deeply invested in the growth of others. Spiritual parents are thoroughly formed disciples who are deeply invested in the growth of others. They enjoy a deep and intimate knowledge of him who is from the beginning, and they're able to receive advanced teaching. 
Basel notes that that person is old and venerable in soul who has been perfected in prudence. They're called fathers or mothers because they parent or disciple other Christians. They do this through their words, their works, and their example. And the church multiplies when spiritual children grow into spiritual parents who make spiritual children. The great commission to make disciples is not given to pastors. It's given to the whole church. And God's will is that we would grow and be so thoroughly formed that we are capable of teaching and instructing and discipling and nurturing others by our words, works, and examples. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, Paul prays for the maturity of the Colossians. He gives us a picture of, of some of the things that are involved in being mature in Christ-likeness. He asks for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. But then he goes on to pray for good works, spiritual power, and godly virtue. The point that I want to make is simply this. Healthy growth is holistic, which means it involves and affects the whole person. God works through our minds to reach our hearts and to motivate our wills. And if we're only learning information without transformation and action, we're not really mature. At each stage of growth, there are three faculties of the soul, the human soul, that need to be engaged and developed. First of all, the mind or the intellect Secondly, the heart or the affections. And third, the will or the capacity for making decisions and developing habits. The mind or intellect, the heart or affections, and the will or the capacity for making decisions and developing habits. First of all, a growing, maturing disciple corrects their thinking to reflect the mind of Christ. Their thinking is being regularly challenged by the word of God and by the church's teaching ministry, and they're making the needed adjustments to think like Christ thinks. Paul calls us in Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Transformation begins in the mind. He warns brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Don't be spiritual children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, be innocent about evil, but in your thinking, be mature. A growing disciple studies to become a skilled reader and interpreter of God's word who is established in sound doctrine and trained in discernment that they might think right thoughts about God, themselves, and others. Secondly, a growing or maturing disciple nurtures their affections to reflect the heart of Christ. Jesus warned us of a day when the love of many will grow cold. They'll be increasing in knowledge but not deepening in their affections for the Lord and for others. A growing disciple walks closely with the Lord and with his people so that their heart is tender and sincere. They cultivate a passion for God's glory in their community and among the nations. And they have a burden for the lost. You know, when our head outgrows our heart, we are at risk of a cold 
intellectualism that's self-centered and critical. But when our heart outgrows our head, we're at risk of a mindless enthusiasm that's shallow and impressionable. Let me say that again. When our head outgrows our heart, we're at risk of a cold intellectualism that's self-centered and critical. When our heart outgrows our head, we are at risk of a mindless enthusiasm that's shallow and impressionable. One of the things that I love about the Wesleys is that they longed to unite the pair so long disjoined. Knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined, and truth and love let all men see. Now that's a hymn I'd like to sing. Unite the pair so long disjoined. Knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined, and truth and love let all men see. Third and finally, a growing or maturing disciple reorders their life to reflect the will of Christ. James warned us, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Jesus said there's going to be many who say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. It's those who do the will of my Father that shall be justified. A growing disciple takes time to be holy and to serve the church. They make changes in their schedule and in their lives so that they're not neglecting the bride of Christ and, of course, Christ himself. Their spiritual gifts are being developed through constant use, and they pray, not my will, but yours be done. Then get up from the place of prayer and actually do it. Rational knowledge and warm affections must issue in purity of life and fruitful service of others. God transforms and renews our mind that our heart might be stirred and deepened in our affections and motivate our will to go do what God wants us to do. Every single Christian in the church must take personal responsibility for their spiritual condition and for their spiritual growth. Spiritual children must press on to become spiritual youth. And spiritual youth must train to become spiritual parents. We must make every effort, Peter says, to grow walking in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. But secondly, I want to make a final point. And I think this is the most important of all. While we must take personal responsibility for our growth, no one can grow to maturity without the church. Sam read a lengthy passage of scripture in Ephesians 4. And if you listen carefully to that passage, Paul makes a crucial point. The church is a life-giving body in which the members grow up together. I have kind of big feet, and my little boy, uh, Teddy, has big feet and big hands. And sometimes some of our members, our hands or our feet, or I've seen people with a big head, they just say have a member of their body. I'm not making fun of them. It's just, you know, we're all different. And some people have certain members of their body that are larger than others. But if their hand was three times the size of their arm, right, we know something was really, really wrong. 
or if their hand was small and shriveled, we know that there was something unhealthy and diseased there. In a healthy body, the members grow in proportion to one another. And we were never meant to grow alone. And we can only grow so far in isolation from the body. And that's why church membership is so important because it's saying, I want to be deeply connected here. I want to be plugged in. I want to be deeply rooted with this group of Christians, this local body, so that with them I can grow and I can help them grow and I can play a part. Because Ephesians 4 says, it's when every member is working properly that the body builds itself up in love. Speaking the truth to one another, we attain to mature manhood in Christ. I think John Wesley understood perhaps better than anyone before him or after him, that we grow in community. Wesley was a genius at forming and discipling Christians. D.L. Moody said that the Methodist class meeting was the greatest plan for discipling converts that the world has ever seen. And what lay at the root of Wesley's genius was a deep conviction that we grow in community. We grow in the sanctifying community of the church. When we say the Apostles' Creed, we recognize that the church is a communion of saints. We need one another. We need one another's gifts. And Wesley also knew that although spiritual formation and discipleship can't be reduced to a program, where if you just do these 10 steps, you'll be mature. While it can't be reduced to a program, The church is unlikely to grow unless it has a method to help its members make good use of the means of grace, the means through which we grow. The Methodist class meeting was a a small group of about six to 12 people who met every week to focus on their personal experience with the Lord and to obey the one another commands in the Bible, which might otherwise be neglected. Exhort one another, serve one another, comfort one another. How are we going to do all those things if we're not regularly coming together in a setting where that can happen? And then secondly, John Wesley had the band meeting, which was a smaller group, about three to six people of the same gender, men only or women only, and they were focused on one command in particular, James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. You know, in the Roman Catholic Church, if you have a sin to confess, you know, you go to the box and you tell the priest and, and you say your Hail Marys and you go on your way. And there's a lot of things about that that I, that I am troubled by and don't like, but there's some things about that that I think we as Protestants can be too quick to dismiss. There is great freedom in owning up to and confessing your sins to somebody. And if you never have an opportunity to do that, you're going to carry a burden with you for a very long time and it's going to cripple your growth. And John Wesley says, look, we're a community of priests. And James says, confess your sins to one another, not just to the pastor. And so he said, we're going to have a method to make sure that this happens or it's never going to happen. And so every week they would get together and they would answer a few questions. What sins have you committed since last week? Leonard, your turn. And some of us are like, oh my word, I could never do that. But you know the freedom and the liberty of coming clean every week? Do you know the power that flows to the church when instead of hiding our sins week after week after week after week, we have an opportunity to acknowledge them and to get help? 
And so Wesley was methodical in his obedience to God's command, and God honored it. He blessed it. Methodism exploded in growth. They raised up an unprecedented number of ministers. Exploded. They had a church on every corner. And it was because they understood that if we're ever going to grow, we're going to have to do it in community. And when we grow, we multiply because we raise spiritual children to be spiritual parents who can then disciple others and make spiritual children. This morning, the Lord Jesus Christ is still calling people to be his disciples and to be deeply formed by his teachings. The church's mission is unchanged. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Not just teaching them so that they have head knowledge, but teaching them to observe the commandments, to cherish God and his word so that we obey him in our life. Holistically, thoroughly formed disciples. This morning, I want to stand together. I want to pray the prayer of Colossians 1 for our church this morning. I've taken Colossians 1 and I've turned it into a prayer that I want to pray for our congregation. And after that, we're going to receive the invitation to come to the Lord's table to recenter our lives on Jesus Christ in whose image we are being formed and to receive his grace at the table. But as we pray this prayer, I hope that you will reflect on your own life, but also think about our church and what you can do to help others grow. Because I believe that God does not want any one of us and certainly doesn't want all of us as a church to be stuck. He wants us to grow and to reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we may walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to you who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Holy Joy Sermon Podcast. Our labors for a holy, happy church are supported by generous listeners like you. Please pray about partnering with us at holyjoys.org forward slash donate.